0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, August 5th. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and on today's show, we'll take a look at Square's most recent quarter and the market's reaction, or overreaction, baby. We'll also examine Capital One's recent data breach and what it means for investors, but we begin this week with another installment of Between Two Fools. Steve Street is the founder and CEO of Green Dot a financial technology and bank holding company based in Pasadena, California. Recently, our own Matt Frankel chatted with Steve about the company's new ultimate cashback account, what the future holds for Green Dot, as well as why he's not too worried about the tough year Green Dot's stock is having.
1: All right, I am now being joined by Steve Street, the CEO of Green Dot. And Steve, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Matt, you bet glad to be here. Awesome. Well, so just to kind of give a little background, um, some listeners might not be familiar with what you guys do. There are two sides of your business. You have kind of what we call non-traditional banking products, which we'll get to in a little bit, and then you have your banking-as-a-service platform. So for our listeners who might not know what that means, you mind giving us just a kind of quick overview of what banking-as-a-service is?
2: Uh, You bet. You know, much like software-as-a-service, which is where we uh, got the nomenclature for the name from. Uh, we provide uh, a technology platform that's integrated into a bank charter and a program management capability. Those are the three components that are required uh, to execute a banking program. And at Green Dot, uh, we, over the years, uh, we're a 20 year old company, this is our 20th year, uh, have built a fairly robust, uh, very high scale platform to support our own products, which in the old days began in retail stores and then uh, migrated into digital formats. And, uh, and the platform is uh, a technology that allows a third party with our permission to access uh, the innards, if you will, of our platform via APIs and other integrations. And so banking as a service means that a third party, like uh, an Apple or an Intuit or an Uber or others who are uh, stash, there are many, who partner with us, can take our APIs and create uh, and create their own custom bank account product or a P2P service or payment service or anything they so desire to extend our platform has that capability. And then the capability keeps increasing because with every new product that's made and every new functionality component that's built, it just enriches the platform that much more for the next customer. So that's what banking as a service is, meaning that, Uh, You can become uh, a bank-like entity offering your products to the public without yourself becoming a bank. And so that's the first part, the technology part. Then what's unique about Green Dot is you have the program management piece, which is uh, supply chain and fulfillment and call centers, meaning customer support and care, and fraud management and the absorption of fraud losses when you have losses, which all uh, bank programs do. Uh, compliance, risk management, and all that goes into that. So just think of that massive program management component, meaning running it, dealing with customers and running the program. And then you have the bank, Uh, the bank issuing. Every program has to have a regulated bank behind it. The bank by law owns the program, no matter who the marketer or the ultimate provider of the program is, the bank owns it legally and the bank is the uh, legally responsible party. And In most places, either you're the bank yourself or you have to contract with a third party bank to provide issuing services, deposit taking services, regulatory services. Green Dot is of course uh, uh, its own large bank. uh, And so when customers do business Green Dot on our banking as a service platform, the reason why we tend to win more than our fair share of those business uh, relationships is that we have the technology, we have the proven high scale, uh, we have the highly experienced bank that deals with the biggest names in technology. Uh, and with the low-cost provider, we have such high scale, and we've done it for so many years, that the incremental cost of producing a product on the Green Dot stack and infrastructure is unbeatable as it relates to price. So, uh, uh, And then reputation, which is harder to peg, but if you're a large company and you're coming in to do business with Green Dot, we generally take comfort knowing that every other large company Uh, has chosen us and speaks highly of us. So those are the reasons why we tend to win those accounts. So that that would be the platform side of our business.
1: Excellent. So speaking of the uh, banking as a service, it seems like that's one of the big areas you guys are concentrating on investing going forward. Um, In your latest earnings release, you mentioned a big plan to kind of get a little bit more aggressive than you had previously planned on when it comes to investing in both sides of your business. Um, And Since this is a show for investors, the market wasn't too happy about that. But can you give us a little bit of insight on why you and your team felt like that might have been the best move to take? Yeah.
2: Well, you know, listen, as investors, and and we all wear different hats in different parts of our lives, Uh, if I'm the investor and I'm wearing the investor hat, uh, depending on the kind of fund I have, I'm very focused on today or maybe today plus 90 days. And there's nothing wrong with that. I understand that and I respect that. And investors have a very, very difficult job in choosing who's going to be a winner both today and tomorrow. And it's never certain and you're always going to have winners and losers. And in the case of Green Dot, we have to operate uh, the company in three-year chunks, or at least that's how I operate the company. In other words, uh, what is Green Dot today and what will it be next year and the two years after that? And to do that, you have to think about consumer trends. You have to think about where... Uh, uh, the market and technology is likely to go. Uh, and we've guessed pretty well over many years. Uh, we haven't been wrong many times, but it's hard. And, uh, and it's very tempting to say, look, we're going to do everything we can to make a quarter. Even if that means a year from now, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, but it's not a great way to run the business and it doesn't generate long-term value. And I think the reason we've been around 20 years, and, and I think we stand alone in that. If you look at all the companies that have come and gone uh, in the digital banking space or the branchless banking space, however you want to define it, I mean the number of companies that have come and gone are staggering. But Green Dot keeps reinventing itself, uh, and we have different uh, you know segments of our life if you look back at the company's history, and I think we've been pretty good about that. Uh, but investors have never liked that. Uh, when we got when we went into mobile banking back in 2012, uh, investors didn't like it. When we went into banking in 2011, they didn't like it. But each of those, uh, because it meant short-term pain, and we respect that and understand it. Uh, it means short-term pain for the employees and executives who are bonused on EPS and, uh, and who have stock in the company who uh, that, that you know, portends their wealth over time. So everybody pays that price and we never take it lightly. Uh, at the same time, you have to look at the business and say, well, gosh, you know, here's where the business is going. Uh, here's what's happening, even if it's not long-lived necessarily, with the market's pricing pressures, you know, there's 15 or something like that, free online players. Some have been there for a long time that have not been a threat to us uh, because the accounts are, are more nuanced and, and not really used in a competitive way to Green Dot accounts. Uh, but others uh, have been a threat. In fact, many have said, look, we're just going to be Green Dot, except we'll do it free. And yes, we'll, you know, lose a lot of money, and. Uh, We'll spend 80 to $100, 120000000 million on marketing, uh, and we'll be at a nine-figure loss for a couple of years. But once we have this land grab, we'll be able to add other services and features and one day become profitable. And uh, I, I can tell you from having done it for 20 years, that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, but that strategy is out there, and in the short term, it impacts the way consumers think about pricing. And uh, we can't operate the company with our head in the sand. We need to reflect and respect on what's happening in the market and what consumer tastes are, and make sure that Green Dot is always one step ahead. And to do that, that means that we have to constantly reinvent our product bench and how we market it. And that's how we last another 20 years. But in so doing, uh, Matt, to your point, we did announce that we're holding back $60 million for both technology build uh, and for marketing, and that we're gonna use that money to uh, roll out several new products that we believe will put us in a competitive position to continue to be a top choice for consumers as, we, uh, as the world moves more and more digital, financial services, and as pricing and margins get compressed. And uh, we, we have to always reinvent our business model. And we can never be afraid to uh, chew off our own arm on the short term if it means having a stronger body down the road. And we've done that for years and, and continue to do that. But yeah, investors, uh, you know, understandably, uh, had to re-rate the stock based on our pulling $60 million of EBITDA, and that means EPS, uh, generally off the table and uh, or tax-adjusted EPS off the table. So I-, I think they understand that. I think many of them were supportive as to why we were doing it and why we have a lot of long-holding uh, funds in the stock. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have that short-term
1: pain and the, and the stock price reflect to bet. It definitely makes sense. And you-, you mentioned some new products, so let's get to the, the big news of the day. Um, so you guys are – you just announced a new type of bank account. It's essentially a type of – a combination of a bank account and a, a high-reward debit card product. So yeah. for, first, before we really get deep into the details, could you share some of the key features of that product that sets it apart from the competition? Yeah, and this, this product is classic
2: uh, green dot. There's a lot of things that we do consistently as you study the company. This, this product would be an example of it where – if everybody's running left, we run right. If everybody's running right, we run left. And, uh, and we try to always start our day from what would the customer think? And this product is uh, an example of that The strategy. It's called uh, the unlimited cashback bank account from Green Dot Bank. And, uh, and what it is is it's an account that comes with a Visa debit card like any bank account would. And uh, it has uh, the richest cashback rewards We believe in in America of any card today and in the history of debit cards, period. Uh, People today are accustomed to rewards on credit cards, credit cards. And if you have a FICO score of 700 or better, uh, depending on the product you're applying for, and you don't mind paying some fairly significant annual fees when you look at the cost of American Express black cards or the Chase um, Sapphire card or others, these cards are not free. They're, they're, they're expensive, but consumers look at that and say, well, I'm going to get benefits that overcome the expense, and it's well worth it. And they apply for the cards, and most people will be rejected, and some will be accepted, and that's the credit card business. Uh, when you have that credit card, you run the fear of going into debt, and uh, credit cards, as you know, are not always in favor, especially with millennials, uh, for good reasons. At Green Dot, this is a debit card, not a credit card. It's just a bank account. It's a fully featured bank account like any bank account you get anywhere else, except its existence is to reward customers with high uh, cashback rewards on any online or in-app purchase they make. We're paying 3% cashback on that. And it's called a cashback bonus. It goes into your cashback bonus uh, 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 balance that you can see in the app. And every time you make a purchase at any online merchant, or an in-app merchant. By the way, uh, in-app would be Uber or Lyft or Grubhub or Instacart or uh, trying to think what else you you know pay for in an app. Uh, a video game you're downloading, uh, iTunes, whatever it might be. You know, think about things you purchase using your app. And then uh, online would be uh, any internet merchant, Amazon.com, Walmart.com, uh, eBay. Uh, you know, uh, anybody, right? Alta.com. Any any internet merchant would be an online merchant. And most American families, Matt, probably like yours and mine, spend an increasingly large amount of money on internet merchants and through apps. Uh, It's a rare day uh, in millennial America that dinner isn't being delivered to the house by Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats or somebody like that, right? Uh, Just think of all the ways today that we use apps, paying your Netflix uh, bill, whatever it might be. Uh, These are all remote purchases. And so on all those purchases, you're getting 3% cash back Uh, put into your bonus and it's like a forced savings account and then every year you get that money out you can do whatever you want with it but we designed it that way because uh, not only does it encourage usage of the card of course and the account and make it more valuable but it's a forced savings account and we came up with the idea because we saw in the research tremendous concern from people in their 30s about the future and their ability to save uh, the Federal Reserve recently came up with a study, and, and we can provide you with the data and many others have as well, not just the Fed, that the average uh, family doesn't even have $400 in cash saved up, not even $400. So something like a flat tire or a co-payment at the doctor's office can turn into a family threatening event. And uh, that's a real problem. Uh, half the country doesn't have $400 saved up. Uh, if you look at millennial families, they have the lowest net worth of any generation in in the last 200 years of America, and maybe the first generation that is not better off than their parents, in large part because of the cost of living, student debt, heavy use of credit cards uh, back when they were younger, and credit was more available. And so the result is is that you have low net worth and a real fear that if you're 35, you're thinking, oh my god, how am I ever going to save up money just to cover uh, any kind of expense, let alone the bigger issues of retirement and and long-term prosperity. And that's what gave us the idea for the account. Like, can we uh, create a checking account, a bank account, that offers a very big number on cash back on the kinds of places we shop every day, and make sure you don't blow it so it's going to be there for you every year. You can see it grow, but you can't spend it until the end of the year. And then on top of that, the account has a high-yield savings account that comes free with the bank account. You don't pay extra for it, and it's right there in the app, and it pays 3% uh, annual percentage rate uh, on your money. So a very, very high deposit amount, uh, interest rate on your deposits. Uh, we do limit it. It's meant for the customers, real customers of the bank account. So it's up to $10,000 in balances, which is way higher than what the average American will be able to save every year. So it's a very, very high limit for regular people. But we capped it at $10,000 because otherwise what you have are uh, what are called rate shoppers. There's nothing wrong with rate shoppers, but these are folks who take their money from bank to bank to bank to bank to, bank to earn an extra tenth of a point of interest. And we, we don't want that kind of customer. That's not, uh, it's not healthy for the bank and it's not uh, good for the customer who's using the bank account in a normal way. But for, you know, the vast majority of Americans who will use our account, that's a fabulous interest rate. And there's no fee for the savings account. So you have that savings account that pays a 3% interest rate. You have, every time you make an online or in-app purchase, you're getting 3% cash back put uh, aside for you. And, uh, and the account has uh, very, very low fees, and for most people, no fees. So when you add up the fact that the account is so inexpensive to use, that it's a debit card, not a credit card, and that the interest rate on savings and the rewards on purchases are so extreme, we believe that uh, many Americans will flock to the product and will benefit, and they will have, because of uh, Green Bank a true savings account at the end of the year. where they could have several hundred dollars saved up without investing a penny of their own money, just using the bank's
1: money. Oh, so, the, bi- the first question that comes to my mind is from kind of a business standpoint. Um, you know, 3% cash back on online purchases, that would be, as you said, an impressive reward weight rate for a credit card. Um, for a debit yeah. card, this is unheard of. So we know how credit card companies can afford to do that. They're bringing in a ton of interest income. Interchange fees are a lot higher on credit cards. We've talked about that on the show. Um, so how can Green Dot afford to do this and still make money is my number one question.
2: Right. Uh, we have years of doing rewards cards. We, we, we started with debit card rewards back in 2016 with the cashback Walmart money card and the cashback Green Dot 5% card that had limits. And, and it's something, frankly, uh, you can only do if you're Green Dot. And, I, and that's why we did it. In other words, when we do strategy preparation for the company and planning sessions, we say to ourselves, what can we do that others cannot? Uh, sometimes you have to do things like everybody else. There are certain table stakes, you know, online bill pay or or whatever the case may be. And you're going to do it because you have to do it and it's because it's uh, what people expect when they use a bank account. But the best uh, kinds of competitive measures you can take are those that a competitor can be jealous of, can dream about one day doing, can hold meetings about doing, but can't really do without losing a tremendous amount of money. In Green Dot's case, we have the experience, meaning the years of data, uh, millions of customers and usage behavior, we have the scale where the cost of producing these uh, accounts for Green Dot are fractional to what it would be for a bank branch and even more fractional to what it would be to a startup, uh, an internet neobank startup, because uh, we have 50 million customers in the company and processing and platforms that can handle that and do that. So the incremental cost of a new account on Green Dot is pennies relative to what an incremental cost would be for a different kind of a company. So. We're using our branchless infrastructure, our years of being in business, and uh, on a high high scale to offer a product that has extreme value to the customer that uh, few could match even if they wanted to. Uh, But at the same time for us, we can make a profit. And uh, of course, the amount of profit we make will depend on the ultimate usage and, and all that kind of stuff. And because it's competitive data, I can't go into a lot of that. But to your point, it is a very, very rich offer. And it is an offer we expect a lot of customers will not only want to take advantage of, but their lives will be benefited from it. And we believe we can offer that extreme value at a uh, a price where we can make a very good margin.
1: So you also said in addition to 3% cash back, it pays 3% interest on money in the account. Um, Is that fixed or will that change over time? Um, So in other words, if the Fed lowers interest rates a few times over the next year, would that drop or would it still be 3%? Uh, for
2: right now, it would still be 3%. We always reserve the right, like every bank would do, uh, to adjust our interest rates up and down. But uh, the 3% is being paid for as a retention tool. It's a marketing cost to us. Uh, it's designed to keep people using the account. You know, you, every day you have uh, some new startup uh, spending other people's money liberally to try to get a person to switch a bank account. But the people who are in search of these free bank accounts, uh, you know, free is as free does. And there's no switching costs. They don't always have, with great respect, the best uh, security or know your customer procedures because they're in land grab. And so they, uh, not anyone in particular, I'm not saying that, but our experience has been that they tend to look the other way on issues of CIP. And, uh, and their, jo- their goal is to get as many accounts as they can. But those, uh, those customers churn in and out, in and out, in and out. I don't want that customer. That customer is not helpful to me. And uh, so you want customers who are buying your account or opening your account because they believe the account creates value for them and that uh, they can benefit from it as part of their daily lifestyle. And so uh, we're using the savings account and the cash back and all the cool things about the account to say to our customer, look, this, this account is the best value, uh, but there are reasons to keep it. And if you leave after three months, uh, you know, you're going to lose all these great benefits. So, so right now we don't have plans to lower the interest rate. It's a fee that we think we can sustain given the way the account's built. Uh, but of course, we'll revisit that over time.
1: Okay, um, so it sounds like, like just looking at those numbers, you said the product sounds like it could be a big hit, especially like especially among millennials, as you said. Which, I mean, I I consider myself an older millennial. I think I made the cutoff by a few months. Um, but no, this is definitely an account that I would be interested in. So, but it seems like educating the consumer on this would be a big obstacle, just because Green Dot's not known for it's you know a product like this. This is kind of revolutionary. So, is this one of the big marketing expenses you were referring to, um, kind of educating the consumer and things like that? It's not. Uh, oh, you mean in, in, in advertising? Yeah, the
2: the advertising campaign would be part of that. Sixty million dollars that I mentioned. Parts for technology build on BAS. Uh, yes, the the rewards are are self um, funding based on the account usage and how we believe the accounts will uh, be used and adopted. Uh, but the cost of marketing is absolutely a big reason why we reserve the money because you have to get the word out. And uh, the good news is we think it's a very compelling offer, and uh, and we have great distribution and great assets so we can bring to bear. Uh, And so uh, we think we can make a go of it. And of course, the product, uh, as you're hearing this interview, just launched. And uh, time will tell. But we feel very good about the product, the effort, the quality of it. The app is amazing. Uh, uh, The rewards engine, which was highly complicated to build, is uh, very, very accurate. Uh, and, And all the notifications that the customer gets are really cool and keeps you up to date. Every time you make a transaction, you get a push notification that says, Hey, you just spent uh, whatever it is, you know, $48 at walmart.com and and got your 3% uh, bonus of X dollars. I wish my math was good enough to tell you what that is. And uh, and that's been added to your account. And and you keep track of it as you go. So that constant uh, instant gratification and that sense that you're doing something good for you and your family as you do the things you normally do, we think is a very addictive and fun component of using the account. And uh, the slogan for the account is, Spend like normal, save up like crazy, Spend like normal, save up like crazy, and and that's the whole mindset behind the account.
1: Well, I am definitely excited to see how the the rollout goes and how it catches on. Um, we won't keep you too much longer, but this we end. A lot of our readers are avid, or a lot of our listeners are avid readers. Um, so I always ask my guests to um, mention the the best book they read recently. It's completely fine if you don't have one in mind, but I figured I would ask just because it's something we like to mention.
2: So I'd like to tell you that I read a lot of books,
1: and when I was younger I did.
2: Uh, I don't have the time for it, unfortunately, but I do uh, read a lot of Apple News, and I do uh, 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 read a lot about uh, the industry and about uh, business and the heavy consumer of CNBC, but, but I must admit that I haven't read a book uh, that, that's worthy of me bragging about it.
1: Well, it's it's certainly understandable given given what you do. So <laughs> appreciate that insight. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hopefully, it was a good experience for you. I'm sure our listeners got a ton out of it.
2: Yeah, always always fun to talk with you, Matt. And you guys do a great job. I'm a heavy reader and
1: uh, consumer of your
2: product as well. So I appreciate uh, the time and 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 talking with me. All right. Thank you so
1: much.
0: And now joining me in the studio via Skype is certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, nice interview there with Steve. Man, good get there.
1: Thank you. I was uh, especially happy he was actually willing to talk to me about how poorly the stock was doing. A lot of times, you know, executives dodge those type of questions on stock prices. Yeah, no, he was he he kind of engaged it full on and was talking about how he's taken the long-term view, and just really great discussion there. Oh,
0: that's – yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you actually get – it's a little bit of a red flag to see a CEO – Talking a lot about the stock and how important the stock price is, and yada, yada, yada. In this case, I mean, he was very willing to sit there and talk about why it doesn't matter for him. I mean, that really is a good sign that you've got a CEO that is uh, focused certainly on the long term there and not worried. About short-term noise. I mean, there's so often there's nothing they can really do about that short short-term noise, particularly if they're making investments for the future. We know the market will hold that against them. But I tell you, Mister Street certainly seems to uh, seems to know what he's know what he's doing.
1: Yeah, and um, you know if he's willing to absorb short-term pain. I mean, you know that if you make a big you know change in your strategic plan, that the market hates uncertainty. You're not you're going to get penalized for it yeah and um, I mean him especially has has a ton of his net worth tied up in green dot stock, so he's a he's thinks it's the right move and is completely confident in the future and I just thought he and the new account is kind of you know above and beyond what anyone's offering right now, so we'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, hey, maybe if uh, things work out well, he'll be happy to join us again. Uh, Speaking of the market penalizing uh, performance here, uh, let's jump into our first story of the week here with Square's earnings. Square earnings came out late last week. Um, I mean, to to say that the market has punished the stock, I think, is probably an understatement. It does seem like um, it wasn't very happy, perhaps more so with the guidance, I think, than anything else. But what was your takeaway on the quarter? I mean, it seemed like it was a good quarter. But but what are your takeaways?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, forty six percent year over year growth in adjusted revenue. Uh, cash app really stood out as something that was impressive. Uh, they've taken the cash app from uh, one million dollar in quarterly revenue to. 135 in quarterly revenue, excluding Bitcoin, yep. over just the three year period, which is, I mean, even the most optimistic analysts were expecting about 100 million in, in revenue by 2020. So Square's Cash App has, you know, de- like destroyed expectations. Um, the big thing that I think is really throwing a wrench in the market is the, the surprise that Square's getting rid of caviar. Yeah. Um, Caviar is, a, you know, it's a successful food service platform, um, and there's a good case to be made for and against why they might have done that. Um, people who are critical of the deal say, you know, you're getting out of a rapidly growing market. They sold it for four hundred ten million dollars, which sounds impressive given that they bought it for ninety million. But remember, they bought it for ninety million dollars in stock, which at the current price is actually worth a lot more than four hundred ten million dollars. <laughs> yeah. So you can say that they're selling at a loss and you can make that case. But on the other hand, you know, Square got into the food service business to, you know, get their payment processing platform in, you know, in whole new industry. <clears throat> and it was successful. About one out of every four dollars that Square processes right now is food service. so it's been a success. But competition in the space is tremendous. You have DoorDash, Grubhub, and a few others, so the deal partners them with DoorDash. they are they're integrated into DoorDash's platform. So you know, Square's thinking, why limit ourselves to our own platform when we can just integrate our payment processing system into everybody's? You know, Cap, um, Square Caviar was just you know kind of proof of concept. It's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, and you know they they could definitely get a wider reach, but. Partnering with you know bigger players in the space, um, so I'm not too concerned about it. Generally, I think the quarter was exactly what I wanted to see. I, I'll to be perfectly honest, the the caviar sale did take me by surprise. Not that I think it's a necessarily a bad move or a good move, but it was surprising. It adds uncertainty and kind of just surprise, which the market doesn't like in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the caviar deal for me—I was actually pretty happy to see that. Um, To me, caviar has always been the one part of the business that didn't quite fit in with the rest of it, right? And I mean, it was—it was they stated. I mean, it's the low margin. Part of the business, anyway. Like, I mean, it was the low-margin revenue driver uh, for the company. I, I think it was something that was a bit outside of the things where they were really trying to focus. And so, I think giving this thing to DoorDash or selling this thing to DoorDash, it, it'll allow them the opportunity to continue to participate in this space, but perhaps more from a support role um, as opposed to kind of dealing with the logistics that come with food deliveries. So I don't know. For me. I was very happy to see that. I mean it seemed to me like the one thing that stood out in the call, uh, you know, an analyst made the point that you know they beat on the high end of guidance for the quarter and that was great. And typically when they do that, then you see them guide up. And they didn't guide up this time. But now the reason why they didn't guide up was because of this sale of caviar and they will be re they they will be reaffirming guidance here shortly as soon as that transaction closes later on this year. So I mean you can expect an update to guidance here soon. Um, and again I mean I don't buy or sell stock based on guidance anyway. It just I don't know. It seems to me to be very short uh, sort of term reaction to some noise there from the market. And then you've got this I guess there's like a double downgrade today on the stock, which is playing out you know to the tune of another six or seven percent. It looks like.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the fact that the overall stock market's down quite yeah, a bit in the yeah. past week since the earnings <laughs> doesn't really help.
0: Point worth noting. No, yeah,
1: you know, this definitely narrows Square's focus. And um, like you said, the Caviar, it was definitely like not in their main wheelhouse. It served its purpose. Like right. I said, bringing more more payment processing volume, but it's not something they need to focus considerable resources on going forward. You mentioned it was a lower margin business and just not what they are. Fo- they're focused on their. Their small business ecosystem and their pay, their individual ecosystem with the cash app and all that. Yeah. So this allows them to really focus on the the two key areas of the business. Gotcha.
0: Uh, well, before we move on to our next door, I'll close with one interesting sort of factoid here for you, Matt. Last quarter, when Square was preparing to announce earnings, the night before the shares closed at seventy three dollars and change. The day after they reported earnings, the stock closed at $67 and change. And over the subsequent days, we saw it hit $62 and change. And all of this was kind of based on the same idea in regard to guidance. Um, And so, my point ultimately is that we know this is a volatile stock. It is a business that's building its way towards meaningful profitability. But it's going to take some time. It is going to be more volatile than other names. Uh, but it is still a good business, and you know we've seen this happen before. I mean, I don't know, if, I don't know about you. I mean, I think you would agree with me. I didn't see anything in this quarter. I didn't see any red flags that made me think, uh-oh, I'm not sure if I should be owning the stock at this
1: point. No, I, I mean, I don't own Square because I thought they were going to be the leaders in food delivery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, so that I mean, that could be the only potential red flag, but that's not why I own the stock. And. I mean, all things being equal, if a company lowers guidance and nothing changes in my long-term thesis, that's a buying opportunity, in my mind.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, Okay, let's take a look here at Capital One, because there was some news that came out recently here in regard to a data breach. And on July 29th, Paige A. Thompson, a former employee at Amazon, uh, was arrested and accused of carrying out a massive theft of 106 million Capital One records. Now, for all intents and purposes, I mean when you look at Capital One, I think most people know it is that credit card commercial on TV, but I mean Capital One is a bank. And and so I guess the question we have here first and foremost is what should investors be thinking about this type of a breach, Matt?
1: Well, Capital One's already put a number on it. First of all, they say it's going to wind up costing the bank between 100 and 150 million dollars. But going a little bit further, um, just to put this in perspective, you so you mentioned the 106 million customers that were affected. The vast majority of those were things like names, addresses, their credit card balances. You know, information that you really don't want anyone to have, but that they can't really do a whole lot with. Um, when it comes to the sensitive information. Um, hundred forty thousand social security numbers, which out of 106 million really isn't very much, right? Um, eighty thousand bank account numbers, which I mean don't get me wrong, that's hundred forty thousand more social security and some numbers than we'd like them to lose. <laughs> but so this it affected about one percent of Capital One's customers overall in terms of sensitive information. And just to kind of put that in perspective, a couple of the other high profile data breaches over the years, in 2013, the the infamous target data breach, I mean, my mother had her identity stolen after the Target data breach. Yeah. So, that was 41 million customers whose credit card account numbers were compromised. Um, the next year, 2014, Home Depot, um, 56 million credit card accounts are compromised, and that's a, a great, a great example of how, over the long term, this really doesn't affect investors that much. If you look at a chart of Home Depot stock over the past five years, you you would never know that there was a massive data breach. Oh, they, heck. They've heck! I mean, done look, at, look at well.
0: Equifax's stock chart. I mean, like after all was said and done with there, and I mean that was the shot heard around the world, basically. And I mean, Equifax is still alive and kicking, which kind of made me wonder if this is even should this this is just a blip on the radar. I would imagine.
1: Right, Equifax was 143 million Social Security numbers. Yeah. So that was a a big deal. Um, you know, credit card numbers for a bunch of people and you know like i said the capital 1 breach it was mostly harmless to, i don't want to say harmless but mostly you know non sensitive information it's really tough to steal someone's identity if you know their credit limit for example yeah so just about 1% of their clientele was affected in a way that could meaningfully affect their identity capital 1 knows who those people are so they're alerting everybody whose social security number was stolen or bank account number or um in canada what's it called it's a their it, their they're equivalent of social security number. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, <laughs> but a million of those were stolen. That was actually the biggest part of sensitive information. So those people are all being notified. About one percent of the total customer base. So from a long term investors' perspective, I'm not terribly worried about it. Capital One is a pretty big company. Um, just looking at their forty billion dollar market cap, so it's going to cost them about a hundred million dollars. That's I mean, that's a significant amount of money, but over the long term, that's a speeding ticket for Capital One. So I'm not too concerned over the long term. I'd be more concerned about what happens to their credit card business during a recession as an investor. Um, you know, credit card default rates tend to tick up a lot quicker than anything else during a recession. Right. Capital One you mentioned is much more of a credit card company than most other banks. I mean, I everyone knows their commercials with, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, what's in your wallet. Oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Um, they're much more tied to the credit card business. So, from a risk perspective, that's much more of a risk than this breach, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, this seems like it's probably third string junior varsity compared to some of the other stuff out there. Um, And, I mean, as far as what's in consumers' wallets, I'd imagine they'll have access to a credit monitoring report for the next year to two years to help them deal with this. But, I mean, I tend to agree with you, it just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. I mean, when you look at the actual business itself, I mean, Capital One is clearly a company that has been built on technology, evolving with the times. I mean, from a bank's perspective, you look at the company generates return on assets at 1.6% and trending in the right direction. A strong financial position. You look at the deposits number there, I mean, deposits of $255 billion, that's up from $205 billion back in 2014. So, I feel like, yeah, this is one of those things that we'll forget about in short order. I mean, if anything, I think it really does um, it gives these cloud providers maybe a little bit of a wake up call whether you're Amazon or Microsoft or Google you've got to be thinking all right what can we do to prevent this from happening again because it it really it looks just as bad for Amazon in my opinion as it does for Capital One here
1: yeah and, and like, don't get me wrong like socially this is a bad thing like this is a bigger breach than than should have happened sure um but you know from a dollars and cents perspective for investors we're saying it's not that big of a deal it's definitely you know We don't want anyone's credit card numbers to be compromised or Social Security numbers. But, and and, yeah, this could be a wake-up call to whoever is providing security services for Capital One.
0: Okay, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up for the week here, Matt. As always, we're going to give our listeners one to watch. And I'm going to go ahead and let you start it off here. What's your one to watch this week?
1: Uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody, just because I talked to their CEO. But uh, Green Dot, I'm watching this week, not just because I talked to their CEO, but because <laughs> they're set to report earnings later in the week. Well, and this is their first earnings report since the one where they announced their ramped-up investment plan that caused the stock to plummet in the first place. So, I'm curious what new comments they have to say about you know how they're actually deploying that capital. I'm, I know um, they're putting a lot of their marketing spend into this new account that they talked about. That He con- confirmed that that's part of the The increased spending. So I'm curious to see how the spending is translating into new products, higher technology, and kind of I'm curious to see how their vision plays out.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go with America's socially responsible bank. Uh, talking about Amalgamated Bank here. Um, and listeners will recall we had uh, Amalgamated CEO Keith Mestrich on uh, not all that long ago. But their earnings came out late last week, and I think that the bank continues to to really do what it's setting out to do. I mean, average deposit growth uh, was 19.4 percent annualized. Now stands at 4.1 billion dollars versus 3.9 billion dollars a quarter ago and 3.6 billion dollars a year ago. Uh, Net interest margin ticked up 10 basis points from a year ago, and we know that it's a very difficult interest rate environment, particularly for these smaller banks. Uh, loan growth ticking in the right direction. Uh, efficiency ratio as well, and you recall that efficiency efficiency ratio essentially tells you uh, that the bank is earning more than it's spending, and um, their efficiency ratio clocked in at 63 uh, percent versus 65 a quarter ago and 70 a year ago. Um, so, generally speaking, like the direction that they're going, still a pretty new. Uh, publicly traded company, but a uh, neat bank with a neat message. And I bet you uh, we'll be able to have Keith on here again soon to talk more about what they've got uh, coming up these next several years. Uh, but, Matt, hey, listen, uh, appreciate you jumping on with us this week. Always nice talking to you. Great job again there with uh, Steve. That was really great interview.
1: Thank you. Always good to be here. and That was one of my favorite interviews I've done so far.
0: All right. And just a teaser, listeners, we've got another interview for you next Monday. Not going to tell you who. You're going to have to tune in, but it's another CEO. I will leave it at that. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.